Yokasau, which is welcome in Japanese. Welcome to the Daddy Unscripted podcast. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the host and the creator of the podcast, and I'm welcoming you today in Japanese because I welcome you in a different language and say goodbye to you in a different language on every episode. Because at the very least, I'm giving you that little nugget of new knowledge to expand your horizons a little bit and give you a little extra bonus nugget beyond just these conversations and the inspiration that you're going to get from them, including and absolutely including this guest on today's podcast, David Newhan, who I'm very, very, very excited. I finally was able to sit down with him. David is a former Major League Baseball player. He played with such organizations as the Orioles, the Astros, the Mets, to name a few. And he played in the minors as well. And okay, let's get down to brass tacks. I have a lot of baseball guests on this podcast. Not a lot, but I have a bunch of them on here. I love baseball. It's who it's a big part of my life. But this isn't an episode for you guys to say, oh, it's another baseball guy. I don't really care. Stick with me. Stick with this episode because the story that David tells of his life nearly being taken away is tremendous, bringing it all into perspective of who he was before that event took place and who he is today is astounding. Uh, the fact that A, he should not be alive and B, he should not be walking is just huge for what you see that he is doing to this day and where he came from after that event took place. So I really hope that you guys don't get turned off by just the baseball thing if you don't care about baseball and that you listen to this inspirational story of a man, a dad, a son who was an athlete. And for those of you who do like baseball, the stories that he's telling about his time in the minor leagues will shed a big light on things that have been talked about quite a bit during this offseason about minor leaguers and how do they live that life um, with the amount of money that they are really not making in comparison with major leaguers. And we get into that a little bit with David and the hardships of that life, not only for the person who is living it, but for their family and for a man who is married and has children and a family to be living this not lavish life on the road pursuing their dream is is really kind of a cool story as well to hear about it from that perspective. So let me do a little bit of business before we get to the episode and remind you that Daddy Unscripted is a very proud member of the Osiris Podcast Network. And let's let somebody else tell you a tiny bit more about that. Osiris. Hi, I'm Bob Crawford from the Avid Brothers, and the podcast you're listening to is part of the Osiris Network, a global community connecting passionate music fans with podcasts about music, artists, and culture. For more information about all the shows in our network, please visit OsirisPod.com. Osiris. 
Okay. And before we get into this, I will also just remind you that this is the first of my daddy son package episodes on the daddy unscripted podcast. So David's dad, Ross has already been on the podcast. So it might be interesting. And if you want to put the whole big story together of this, which really does add a giant piece to it, you can go back and listen to Ross's episodes. We did two. And the second one really is focused a lot on baseball. But the first episode talks a lot about his family life and him being a dad. And that ties in a lot to this episode with David. So just throwing that out there. Now, let's get started with my conversation with David Newham. All right, we are here today actually on location. This has been a while since I've done this in somebody else's home here in the home of David Newham. David, thank you for bringing me and all of us because I've just got this big audience not really. That's here in your home, so thank you. It's our pleasure. Uh, we're we're live from uh, the classroom, so yeah, <laughs> we're we're a homeschool family, and uh, we took over the classroom. So that was uh, that was great. We were able to show the kids what a mobile podcast studio looks like. Uh, so it gave us a great opportunity for school today. <laughs> yeah. So that'll be taking over because your what is your dad's blog, and do you still participate in that? It's called. Is it was it Newhan and Newhan baseball? Oh, okay, yeah. Newhan, um, yeah. Uh, I did for a little while, and uh, the writing thing's more his. Not to say that I I won't get into writing uh, yeah. at some point, or maybe uh, tap into that uh, later in life. Or, but uh, I haven't been participating too much uh, lately. Yeah. Well, then your kids now know how to make a podcast, so it, they'll have like new hands on baseball as their future domain so you kids better go buy that right now <laughs> buy that.com exactly and uh upset grandpa when you've taken it <laughs> taken over his his trademark or whatever uh so this is i'm excited because this has been a while coming the finalization of an actual father son linking on the podcast i've had a couple of people that i've talked about doing this with but when i recorded with ross I kind of had that vision from the get-go. And Ross's episodes were number 19 and 20, all the way back released in October and November of 2016. So it's been quite a while coming from this. So if you guys want to get a little bit more background on that, I encourage you to go back to 19 being more of Ross talking about his life and being a dad and his parents even and uh, talking about meeting your mom and getting married and having you guys around and everything. Um, and then the next episode is basically pretty much all baseball and us talking about the angels coming out here and his work with them and the Dodgers and everything. So really interesting episodes and make this like David and I talked about before we started recording kind of unique because normally we would just hear David's stories about his dad, which we still will get into a little bit. But David, just kind of in a nutshell, you, well, I'll let you tell me. We'll just, we'll just go normal. Let's go back and tell from your perspective a little bit about your dad. 
going back earliest memories, just uh, him working a lot with the, with the LA times and coming up uh, with, with baseball and uh, obviously uh, being a baseball family and uh, our proximity to the game and him covering uh, the sport. Uh, I grew up wanting to be a part of baseball and, so kind of early, early uh, childhood memories of going to spring training and visiting dad and Palm Springs and getting uh, the opportunity to, to run around Angel spring training camp and, and even go down in the clubhouse and work the clubhouse and run on errands to, for some of the guys. I mean, it wasn't as, as uh, glamorous, I guess, uh, as it is now, as far as the facilities and, and all the the other stuff uh, that are involved with, with major league teams, but it, you know, it was a municipal stadium out there in Palm Springs and it wasn't uh, like they, they were have five-star chefs in, in the clubhouse. And so uh, running errands for different guys to go grab them a hot dog or, or this <laughs> or that, or being able to take ground balls with some of the angel coaches and, and stuff of that nature. But uh, just remember, you know, the the closeness to the game and obviously he was traveling a lot during uh during those years uh until I really got into high school um he was uh he was really doing the beat and and traveling with the team in and out of town but uh would always kind of you know make the effort to 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 be there uh when he could but definitely during the baseball season there was a lot of times where he was gone on the road but that's the, the, the memories I kind of retain most, mostly are just kind of being, being around the game. And then, uh, and then obviously uh, some of the childhood vacations up to the Sierras and the fishing trips, stuff like that. But, you know, just, uh, him working a lot and, and just, uh, writing a lot. Mm -hmm. He, when we talked and you guys have, I know all of you have already gone back and listened like you were instructed to, um, so you'll be nodding your head in agreement, but it wasn't, I wouldn't say that it was like, I, I have had some people on who have talked about regrets and, and being remorseful about, and, and probably from the reverse side as kids wishing they had spent more time with their dads or whatever, but there definitely was a point where he was kind of talking about your childhood and your sister's childhood and, you know, feeling bad, I guess, about the fact that he was just gone so much because he was working and how much he was traveling and how much he missed like your early days playing baseball and things that he wasn't able to do and whatnot. And, uh, it was, soaked in to me for sure because you do think about and for me like I've talked with a number of baseball people so uh, you think about how cool it is how great that you're like doing something that you enjoy throughout such a long period of the year and for a lot of guys you're living out your childhood dream and you're um, traveling and seeing different cities and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, you do think about that hardship and that um, difficulty for the people who are still at home. And, you know, you maybe don't think about that as much for the players as they are going back home after a hard day's work or and home being 
the whatever hotel or whatever it may be. And, you know, trying to squeeze in that little bit of time before they try to unwind from their day and trying to sneak in that time with their family with a call or, I mean, going back 20 years ago, a phone call and that's it. And now, you know, they're able to do FaceTime and probably pretty soon bring up just holograms of one another (laughs) in your room right there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think that would have changed, you know, a lot. Uh, And like you said, I don't know if it's, I wouldn't say there's regret there, but you know, or remorse, but you know, that's what, that's what dads do. You know, they provide for their family. They, they, uh, they have a job, they go out and, and you, you have a strong work ethic. And, uh, obviously he, uh, he did that and, and he provided for us and, and he did it to a great level, uh, with the culmination of being inducted into the writer's wing of the hall of fame. So, um, obviously he was, uh, not only, persistent at what he did but he was he was great at it as yeah. well so i don't say there's any remorse and uh you know there, but there's just uh, you know the grass is always greener on right it's not always the grass is always greener and and there's a flip side to everything and, right you know a lot of time in, in order to achieve greatness you need that discipline and you need that to put the time in and so um he did that on the career side uh i don't think he he missed as much as he probably thinks he missed mm-hmm. um and my mom did a great job of, of you know, uh, wearing a lot of hats at that time. But there was also things that probably he was able to do that and we were able to experience because he was involved in the game, like I was saying, with the, the early childhood memories of, of being so close to, to Angel Games and getting to, getting to go to spring training and, and have those experiences as well as, you know, during the summer times when he was in town, he, he really wasn't at the stadium till later in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I got to spend the time with him in the morning, even if he was maybe preparing or doing some work. And so, I mean, there, you know, you could look at any situation and I think there's uh, you look back on it, hindsight's 2020, but there's positives and negatives to any, any uh, situation in life. And he, he chose his career route and, and it was good for him and, and it was good for our family. And, and, as as the man in the house, he provided for us, and ultimately, that's what what our job is to do. Yeah, yeah, and it's it is very key what you're saying too, because some of those things that we feel like are missed opportunities, and they may seem enormous in hindsight or even at that time, maybe don't compare with that Sunday morning breakfast or or just something that seems little or that is yeah. forgotten over time, but really does stick with you as a kid or whatever that you are bringing forth and thinking that that was something that really meant a lot to me, even if it didn't seem like it did at that time. Yeah. And when he was around, I think he did make the effort to, to be present, you know, and Mm -hmm. I think that's as, as a dad, you know, sometimes I lose sight of, or, uh, some of the things that I'd like to do is just kind of, you know, is be present like mm-hmm. when, when you are here being, being the now and, and take, take advantage of the opportunity, probably not the best at it, but can certainly strive to get better. Yeah. I, I have been thinking about that a lot and there are all those things that, you know, the, the very easiest low hanging fruit is hug your, hug your loved ones every day because life is fleeting and you know, it's, I, I say that in a cliche-ish way, and it can be a cliche, but it is 
a low hanging fruit. I mean, that's like the easiest thing possible to do every day. And regardless of what experiences we've had in our lives or in our families, it still is something that's so easy. And you just, we, we all can be better at everything every day. No so, doubt. yeah, I mean, it's hard. Um, it's easy to say, <laughs> practice what you preach. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we're all full of these great ideas, but uh, you know, we just got to remember to to stay in the moment and 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 do it. You know, there's a reason, like you were saying, uh, looking back, kind of. I was just thinking about you know the front windshield's a lot bigger than the, the rear windshield. <laughs> True. So, yeah. You know, just uh, all we could do is you know we can't change what what's happened, but just live in the present and and look forward to, and and embrace each day for, for, uh, the gift that it is. Yeah, that's true. I think with, within that whole thing is the idea of time management and priorities. What you make your priorities are so huge. And those two like life skills that some of us are fairly weak at, at times, you know, like I could be doing so many other things right now, other than, sitting in my, who was it? Maybe it was, I think it was Ryan Dumpster recently who was, who was saying, I, I'm playing Bejeweled Blitz right now on my phone. And instead I could be doing (laughs) whatever X, Y, and Z that would be so much better at this time. And, and it is tough now more than ever to like pull yourself away from the kajillion, uh, distractions that are in our face all the time. But it is that, taking that little slow breath and thinking, okay, I'm going to do this instead right now. And that's something all of us can strive for. I'm so guilty of that. So, uh, okay. So we talked a little bit about your dad. So after when, when did he reti- he retired while you were playing in the majors or were yeah, you? Um, so he was doing the beat pretty much my whole life until I got to about high school. And then at that point he was, promoted to national baseball writer for, okay. for the for the times yeah. and so that's when he started doing more columns and like sunday week in review type mm-hmm. stuff covering the economics of it during the off seasons he was inducted into the writers wing in 2001 so he's he's pretty much been retired since then and yeah yeah when i was in the in the big leagues kind of took a step back he did a little bit of freelance stuff during those years, mm-hmm. but not, not as heavy as before. Yeah. So you, I I'm assuming you're basically just all geared baseball when you were a kid or were you playing other sports too? I did some soccer, um, but baseball is always my passion and what I wanted to do. And, uh, like the, I was the dummy in class when, yeah, <laughs> I want to be a baseball player. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 Dreaming. <laughs> you're, you're not going to be, uh, bigger than five, nine, five, ten, And yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those aren't the pro athletes, but, um, but yeah, it was just a desire in my heart and, and I always wanted to do it. And that's basically how we were, we were geared. Although I, I do enjoy all sports and just, played some soccer growing up and obviously would play in the backyard, anything, yeah. you know, and we'd go play the mud football when it rained mm-hmm. and over at the school and, uh, but played one year of football in high school, but, but that was never my thing or I never had the size to do that. And, uh, baseball was always my passion. Yeah. And so you played in high school and was, did you go straight to Pepperdine from high school? I took a kind of, <laughs> I took the scenic route. <laughs> so I, yeah. I went to, 
I graduated, uh, uh, I would say a little bit undersized and on the young side, uh, as the 17 year old going into college, mm. uh, with the late birthday, but played on a, on a really great high school team where we were, if we won two more games, semifinals and the finals, we would have ended up number one in the nation. Oh, wow. So, uh, I was a huge program and always held my own, but, and so I, I kind of had a desire in my heart that like I would play division one baseball and was never getting run off the field by by some of the best players in the nation. Really, when mm-hmm. you're growing up playing uh, high school baseball in Orange County, you're you're playing the best, and just wanted to play Division One ball. And I, I didn't really get the opportunities, except for a few different offers from from some schools. And and uh, so I decided to go to Cypress Junior College for a year mm-hmm. and went there. Had a great season my freshman year, and. It, numerous schools were saying, go back and you'll be the first guy we talked to. And at that point in the summer, Georgia Tech came in and said, hey, we got a full ride for you right now. You and Omar Garcia can go play up the middle. You'll be playing second base. And so I, I went out there. I liked the, the campus and decided to go there. And then when I went there, it was nothing as I envisioned. Uh, I, lo- I loved the baseball side of things. Mm-hmm. And the team was great. We had I think three, I want to say three other first rounders on that team with oh, Nomar wow. Garcia Parra, uh, Jason Veritek, Jay Payton. Uh, we're all just outstanding. We were number one in the nation for, for a while until we ran into Darren Dreifert in the regional. <laughs> but uh, I just, it didn't feel right to me. And I decided to, to transfer and you can never go wrong with Malibu, right? So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it, it, I think, it, you know, I, I ended up going there my junior year, didn't get drafted, went back for my senior year, and that was a great thing. It allowed me to get closer to my degree, and I was able to get my degree and uh, graduated there in 95 and ended up getting drafted after my, my senior year there. But it was fun. It was beautiful, especially when you're leaving, living on the, on the beach side and yeah. on the coast side. And we had a, we had a house about 10 miles north of Pepperdine of the campus up by Zuma beach. And, and it was, it was super, super fun. <laughs> yeah, <I'm sure. laughs> you know, uh, Malibu without a mortgage. I, I don't know how you can kind of get uh, further from reality. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. As a college, <laughs> as kid. a college kid. Yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, well it's all downhill from here. <laughs> Especially coming out from yeah. Georgia tech to that. Yeah. Have a nice life kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now yeah. you're graduated. And yeah. you're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> So who ended up drafting you? Was it the Padres? So I was drafted uh, originally by Oakland. Okay. And uh, the cool thing about that was my best friend from Pepperdine was drafted by Oakland at the same time. And so we both came out of Pepperdine and uh, this was the draft of 95. He was a 10th rounder. I was a 17th rounder and began our career together. And uh, so went out to to our uh, complex, which is no longer their complex, uh, Papago Park in Arizona. Had mm. a couple of days there, worked out, and then uh, we got on the bus, went over to Oakland, saw a game, and and then bus back up to Medford, Oregon, and uh, oh, gosh. commenced uh, the old professional life of the career, the glamorous, <laughs> glamorous life of a professional baseball player, and in uh, Oregon, nonetheless. In Oregon, Med- Dreadford, Oregon. No, <laughs> Medford, Oregon. It was it was fun. It was is uh, an experience to to kick off my first year uh, as a as an Oakland A, a Medford A, and then uh, I ended up going uh, getting called up to West Michigan, which is Grand Rapids. From there, 
later that summer mm-hmm. and finished the year there. And we made a little bit of a playoff run with that team in the Midwest League. And uh, then I, I went back to Pepperdine and finished my degree and uh, and then really got just, you know, dialed into to my, my life in baseball from there. Mm-hmm. And as you are kind of bouncing around, where was your first cup of coffee? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm air quoting that. Uh, wasn't with the A's, no, right? No, it wasn't. So I, I made it to double A with the A's and then was tra- traded in the off season of uh, 98 to the Padres. So I played double, then I went back to double A with the Padres in 98 and then uh, started triple A in 99 and came up with San Diego uh, in June of 99. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and uh, a good friend, Gary Matthews Jr. came up on uh, first day in the big league, same time. Wow. And, uh, my first, uh, game experience was coming in to pinch run for the King, Jim Leyritz, who, (laughs) (laughs) who walked in, in a tie game. I think it was a interleague game against Seattle. And, uh, so I came out and pinch ran for him and Davey Lopes, uh, sternly, uh, told me if, if the guy moves his front hip, then, then take off and steal second. And that'd be the first thing that the pitcher would move. And so I took my lead. I watched the front front hit move. He delivered the ball to the plate and I took my secondary and did not steal the base. And I, <laughs> I came back to the bag and he, uh, he sternly, <laughs> even more sternly uh, said, did you see it? Did you see the, the front hit move? And I said, yes. And he said, well, then take off. <laughs> so uh, the next pitch, same thing happened. I took off, stole second. I ended up, I'm not sure how, but came around and scored and uh, go out to actually as a top, yeah, bottom of eight and then uh, top of nine, uh, San Diego, you know, so it's Trevor time and Hell's yeah. Bells are blaring. And yeah. uh, Trevor, uh, I had remembered Trevor from, uh, he's another Cypress guy. So oh, really? he was kind of around uh, Cypress and working out when he was making his transition from shortstop to pitcher back when I was in uh, wow. playing at Cypress. So and he was always great to me with San Diego, but uh, so it was uh, super exciting because, you know, your kid that obviously with my dad being so close to the game, I just loved baseball and, yeah. you know, and, and then now you're, you're in the middle of it on, you got ACDC blaring <laughs> and the Padres had just made the world series run the, the year before. Mm-hmm. And so he came in and, uh, Basically, uh, we we turned a double play to, that inning to to get us out of the whatever jam we were in, and we won the game. And so it was just like uh, you know the cherry on top of a Sunday, getting call, called up and uh, being able to come in and produce to to help the team win, and uh, super fun. And then and then the next game where I actually started was with same thing San Diego, but we were playing in early again. And it just so happened that we were playing against the A's. And so oh. the team that drafted me. Yeah. And, I, and, and so it was a very comfortable feeling for me. Kind of, I, I came in facing a pitcher that I had faced in, in the minors. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of a young kid coming up to who had a marvelous career, Tim Hudson. So uh, I felt comfortable facing him. I felt comfortable facing a lot of the ki- guys that I already knew. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was just uh, an amazing experience getting a chance to play against Oakland and ended up going like, I think three for four. And, and my best friend that I was talking about earlier, Ryan Christensen, who was with me at Pepperdine, 
he was on that team. Hmm. And uh, so it, it was just a tremendous experience of full circle and, and making it to the big leagues and, and then actually getting to play and, yeah. and, uh, and having some fun out there. Yeah. That's such a cool story. So that was your, was that your one and only season with the Padres? So yeah, I was kind of up and down that year. And then uh, the next year I ended up making the team with San Diego, had uh, some, some time up a little bit in AAA and back up. And then, uh, and then I was, I was traded to Philly from mm, there. Okay. So, yeah. And then I went over to Philadelphia, I played for uh, Brad Mills after that 99 season, Brad Mills was the first base coach with the Philadelphia Phillies and he managed our team in the Arizona fall league. And so huh. after he had managed me, he was, they were trying to, I guess, trade and wanted to get me over there for, uh, for that year in 2000. And then in August they were able to do it. So him and Terry Francona have been together. He was, Terry, oh, yeah. was, Terry was the manager in Philly. And then, so they brought me over there and, <laughs> And uh, long story short, they all got fired after that season. So that wasn't, that wasn't really great for me, but um, yeah. it ended up, I think, working out for Terry because he, uh, yeah. he, he went over to Boston after that and yeah. uh, the rest is history, you know, with his run in Cleveland now too. And, and Brad's been with him uh, ever yeah. since as well. So uh, yeah, 2000, I was up and down and then went over to Philly. And then you were from there to Baltimore. Yeah. There to Baltimore, yeah. Which yeah. is kind of your that was big probably, league peak. I would say with I, them, yeah, yeah. I, I would say so. Um, so yeah, it was in uh, Baltimore and had a really, really tremendous, like tremendous run in uh, being able to actually first get over there. The Lord's hand was in that the whole time because I actually started off in 2004 between Philly and. 2004 in Baltimore, that was 01 to 04. I actually uh, had a battle through some shoulder injuries and had to have two, two shoulder surgeries. Um, one for torn labrum, the other, they cleaned up that torn labrum again and, uh, had a little tear on the rotator cuff. And, uh, so it was, it was kind of a long, uh, process of getting back into shape and being able to play and get on the field. And so I started that 04 season in with Texas in AAA. And, uh, was just, was really playing well, uh, hitting the ball all over the place. And I had an out clause in my contract, which rarely worked, but it was an out clause for a three day window to get a big league job and, hmm. uh, Baltimore bid on it. And, um, so I was able to get over there. And as soon as I was, I was getting, getting a chance or got the chance to go over there, like, this is how much the Lord's ham was on. It was the Texas team that I was playing with. In AAA, we were playing Colorado Springs in Colorado. Baltimore decided to do the deal. They were playing interleague and heading to play Colorado that next day. Oh, so perfect. So I just drove over there, and um, and uh, I think uh, my dad wrote a, ended up writing a Father's Day uh, article on this, and one of one of the last really kind of stories I think he he wrote uh, for the Times. But he, I think it was Father's Day, and I pinch hit. And or it was right before Father's Day, the weekend before, and I pinch hit was my first uh, chance with Baltimore, and ended up probably hitting the farthest home run of my career awesome. <laughs> in the ninth inning. Uh, we didn't win the game or anything, but but it was it was almost a tr- third deck in in Denver, and I could you know wow. still see the ball flying, but it allowed me to play the next day, yeah. and I got a couple hits, and then I played the next day, and I got a couple hits, and 
Uh, my dad wrote a nice uh, Father's Day article about it and got got some phone calls from some friends. Even Dave Roberts said it was like, you know, just a great, great article yeah. that, you know, about a father's love and, and seeing his son do well at the sport he loves. And uh, so, yeah, that gave me, uh, provided me with, with some energy to, to keep going uh, that year in 04 and ended up hitting over 300 that year and, and really uh, solidified myself to be able to stay on the roster mm-hmm. and, and played with Baltimore a couple more years before I moved on to, to the Mets and, uh, and then to Houston. Yeah. And do you remember who it was that got injured? That was it somebody got injured in Baltimore that you yeah. ended up sliding right into that role? Yeah. Um, yeah. Melvin Mora, I guess it basically, yeah. Like all things just kind of lined up and yeah. was, like I was saying was perfect. And, uh, I think the night before Melvin Mora twisted his ankle and, right. and then, yeah, it just gave me a chance to come in and start playing right away. And, and, uh, once I got that opportunity, I was hot and like started with like a 14 game hit streak and yeah. for a month hitting over 400 and, and it was just a opportunity where they couldn't get me out of the lineup at that point. Right. I remember, I remember this very clearly because your brother-in-law and I were in a fantasy league together yeah. and I can't remember which one of us ended up picking you up quicker and the, whoever it was, the other person was like angrily yelling over the Yahoo whatever chat or whatever through the league and i remember it being something not just because of that but this was my first like experience and now i've i was thinking about this as i was driving down you think about this with the families of players and how into everything even the people who maybe aren't that into baseball if there is such a thing um i don't think those people exist on this planet but because you start to know like who else is playing and where does that, what does that effect have on, I mean, in your case, it was a different situation because you were waiting for that opening to get, Mm -hmm. to be able to play. And so I remember that was one of the first times where I was like, I'm kind of happy that Melvin Mora's hurt. (laughs) No offense to him, but I hope he stays hurt for a little while and David still gets his reps in there. And I remember it wasn't that there was an article in Sports Illustrated about you during that time, right? Yeah, I think uh, the next year they did an article on that with my father. And then uh, at that point, Nico was born, too. So uh, Nico, he got his first taste of of the of fame. And he, yeah. there's a picture of him like inside my glove inside uh, my, awesome. when he was a baby and uh, with, with his grandpa as well. So that's yeah, pretty cool. So, Working on uh, now our third generation, maybe of of baseball player, and yeah. he's got he's got a bright future ahead of him as well. Yeah, it's that's part of the really. I mean, I've talked about it with a bunch of dads how baseball and be at different subjects. Some of them, it's been music or whatever that sure. string that ties the generations together, and uh, it is interesting to me how you know there are some people who don't have that string at all and what is that how does that affect their relationship and does it or does it not weaken the bond or whatever that may be but thinking about for so many of us it's just watching baseball and what that meant to us and maybe playing catch with your dad or whatever but having something that's 
rooted in a much different and deeper way, like with you and your dad, and then potentially with Nico is, is cool. And, and I mean, obviously it's, there are other father son duos that are like that Vladdy jr. Coming up right now. Yeah, absolutely. But that's so cool to think about the pride factor um, not as in pride cometh before a fall, but how proud parents get to be of this lineage that is going down of something that they obviously loved so much and built their life around and not just pride in a way of good job in doing that. <laughs> yeah. Cause you saw how much I loved that, but getting to see them with that much enjoyment and fulfillment from that same thing is, I mean, I don't know what it means. <laughs> yeah, I, I it think seems you summed immense. it up. I mean, that's pretty cool uh, how you summed it up there. And regardless of what the venue is, I think, like you said, when when uh, both of you have the passion for it, mm-hmm. it it's to be able to experience that together. Uh, you kind of there's, a, I think, some insight of like you know what the other person's feeling and experiencing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there's insight that you could get share from you know obviously along the way and. You know, I was able to lean on my father uh, heavily with during my road, uh, whether it be in pro ball or before that, just with certain experiences and the insight he could give me and his expertise and just being around the game and the proximity to, to information mm-hmm. is, is so much better. And, and Nico has that now with me. And, and uh, but whatever it is, whatever his passion turns into or, or he, he really wants to follow that's that's what we'll support and right uh obviously but um right now yeah he loves the game and it's it's fun watching him enjoy his time playing and and really going at it with all his heart Mm -hmm. it makes it cool so for any of you younger people listening make sure you do what your dads tell you is the thing that we're trying to say i'm just (laughs) kidding um i think you know for me like it was going to a game and keeping score and learning how to keep score in the program mm-hmm. which is a, a lost art basically now and seeing some of that stuff and going with that excitement and i think that's what makes it that kind of really cool thing what just like you said whatever venue it is whatever thing it might be yeah because it does create that different connection you, you think about the dads who try to push their kids into stuff yeah. and that false connection that is there. Like you can tell, I mean, it's like having a wooden nickel or biting into a, I don't know <laughs> what analogy I was just going to go with, <laughs> like eating a fake ding dong yeah. or <laughs> Twinkie. Like it's, yeah. it looks this like is, it's, it's the same. This is carob Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. We kind of jumped ahead. So during all of that time, previous to uh, what year was Nico born? Oh, six. Oh, five. five. Mm -hmm. So previous to that, what year did you get married? What year did I? Oh, shoot. 2001. Okay, very good. (laughs) Uh, The wife is not listening. Not listening. I'm sure somebody would have run in at that point. Yeah. Um, So 2001. So during, and also you are with her for how long during your minor league playing during all of it or no uh we had been introduced about a year before oh, okay uh, by mutual friends with uh san diego okay um yeah i used to surf with uh 
one of the stadium carpenters huh. and uh, he shaped boards and one of the guys that would buy for the, the food and uh, for the stadium, they knew uh, they knew Karen cause Karen would come around and uh, her business, her father's business was selling produce and she was uh, selling to had Qualcomm as one of her accounts. And um, these two had knew, knew both of us and mm-hmm. they played, uh, they played matchmaker. So I was out there and working out in this, in the winter time. And uh, I was, uh, they got, she came in one day to, and was talking to them. They made her wait around to, to wait for when I was going to be leaving. And, uh, and so they, they introduced us in the, in the parking lot and then they went behind the scenes and called both of us. And I don't know what you did, but she was <laughs> loving those baby blues. And, and, and <laughs> so, uh, set, set us up and, uh, the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. That's a random, I mean, even though it's matchmaking, yeah. like that's a pretty cool connection of how distant you guys kind of were. So she's living through this minor league playing that you are doing and whatnot. Is she just staying here in San Diego area or she she came out with me and she was, uh, yeah, she was, she's been at my side uh, the whole time. Yeah. And then uh, we've committed uh, or she's really committed to homeschooling. And so the kids are are able to freeze us up as a family to Mm -hmm. spend more time together. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, they cut, they've come out wherever I've been regardless. Yeah. That's cool. So the first year that you are playing with child in the family now, mm-hmm. how much different? And I mean, you can tell me how, how difficult or not difficult that was for you and for the family. Yeah. I mean, it, it it's a, it's a life changing, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, no all the what. people they say, Oh, it's not that big of a deal. And you know, they're, uh, that's, that's not the truth. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a huge, uh, adjustment and, um, for the better. Uh, yeah. but, uh, it, it does change everything, you know, having, having the baby and, uh, your, uh, your freedoms and, and like every kind of situation of life, it, it changes, but it was, uh, it was such a blessing. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, kudos to Karen. And yeah, she's she's been amazing. <laughs> I'm sure that that part is just so tricky for both parents, like dealing with that while you are dealing. Especially I- when I still like, uh, you know, and, and the thing is, like we were talking about earlier, uh, you don't really see kind of the behind the scenes yeah. things like uh, you go play the game and it's glamorous and then come home and it might not be home or it yeah. might be on the road. Well, at least the the player really still has somewhat of a life. Right, right. <laughs> Where yeah. like, you're actually working, you're out, you're doing stuff, you're seeing you're other out, adults. You know, sometimes <laughs> the wives they're just behind and like yeah. they're not even traveling with you because you can't just get on a plane every yeah, you know, and go every three, three days, days and yeah. go to the next spot and and now you you know, for us she's uh all the way across the country on another coast away from any sort of help you know mm-hmm. from from family or from friends so it, it's really a tough adjustment especially for the wives and being able to adjust and and dial in and get into a network where they have other people and they have some sort of of a life really mm-hmm. where they're mm-hmm. just not really trapped uh being by their by themselves or being so lonely or or uh 
you know, it's just them and the kids on an island. So, yeah. um, she's really had to deal with a lot, like just following my dreams and my passions. And, and, uh, she's really made that commitment to, to seeing me succeed. Yeah. Which is, I'm immediately thinking of your mom as you are saying that mm-hmm. and the role that she played with regards to your dad and you kids and everything. And it is very typical for us to talk about how crazy cool the moms are that are taking care of so many things for different situations and different unique life paths that the husbands are on. And so Karen, we love you. <laughs> I love you, Karen. <laughs> we we don't have a we don't have an award to give you today, but you'll get your jewels in heaven. There you go. <laughs> um, so you are playing professionally until what year? What was your last year playing? Uh, last year playing was 2008. I was with Houston. 08, I actually had a decent year, mm-hmm. and um, we kind of just missed out on a wild card then had a tough time finding a job the next year mm-hmm. and kind of got at that age. Whereas they were, uh, kind of sifting through us older players. Mm-hmm. Not that I was tremendously old, but, um, I think I just had too much service time and was getting older. And then, uh, uh and then also was kind of tied into the same age group as probably the, the steroid era. And mm-hmm. so I think it was like a, just a huge shift in, in baseball at that point, really. And, uh, so Oh nine was tough to get a job and actually kind of went back in to spring training with Houston, but really nothing certain at all. And, and then was released, but was able to be picked up by the Phillies, but it was on a minor league deal and went play triple a with them in Lehigh Valley. And, um, so I played Oh nine was my last year really playing, came home in 2009 because Philly wanted me to, to be a coach as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, coach player. Yeah. So I, I kind of signed on right away as a player coach, but, mm-hmm. but then they're like, Hey, the manager's like, Hey, I want you to play. And like, so I went to Lehigh for like a day or two and then went down to Clearwater, played three days there and got basically it was like extended spring training. So mm-hmm. I, I hit let off like every inning for three days and mm-hmm. got like 20 at bats. And then they sent me back to Lehigh and I played every day since like after that and yeah. was a player really, and did nothing more than played that year, but they, they wanted me to transition. And so I came home to Oceanside at that point thinking, okay, what, you know, kind of at a crossroads here, what am I going to do? And about two weeks into that off season, I was paddling out by myself to go surf and, just south of the pier in Oceanside and ended up jumping off my board and just finished a wave, went backside, got caught between tides and thought I was deeper outside and kind of jumped off my board to, to skim the top of the water and, and pile drove myself right into a sandbar and heard a big crunch and couldn't move actually as I was floating up to the top of the water. I was starting to float up and trying to move my arms and just the reverberation of everything just kind of like tingling through my extremities and had two thoughts at that point was first thought was if I get my head above water, I I should probably call for help because Mm -hmm. I'm floating up and I can't move. I'm paralyzed at this point. And the next thought was uh, in my head was Jesus, let me move. And as soon as I said that in my, in my head, I was able to, 
move my right arm, grab my board, got myself on it. Uh, long story short, got myself in. You don't have to long story short this. <laughs> <laughs> the story is so crazy. You don't yeah. have to short well, I mean, uh, but yeah, like paddled in, kind of gained my composure on shore and just like, okay, now being an athlete, you're like, okay, well, I was hurt for a second. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that was a good zing. And uh, <laughs> uh, okay, can I move? Yeah, I can move, but it's kind of crunching around when I move in my in my neck as I twist my head around, kind of hear a little crunch and but let's walk home. I could walk, walked home. And, and, uh, at that point, like cleaned up and my neck was really locking up on me. And mm-hmm. like I said, as an athlete, you're kind of like, kind of want to do an assessment. Okay. Yeah. You heard, well, it was the, the hurt or injured thing. Like and mm-hmm. thought, Hey, yeah, Karen called her and she was in, uh, with her family and said, Hey, I, I think I should probably go to the hospital and just get x-rays, make sure I'm okay. And, uh, ended up doing that and they kept me overnight and I had shattered C2 had a, what the doctor said, comminuted fracture of C2. And so, uh, I'd gone through obviously the shoulder stuff. And when I was in Baltimore, I, I fractured my fibula and had a spiral fracture on that. And, um, so I was like, okay, well, what's after he said comminuted a few times, I was like, okay, well, I know there's a sp- spiral fracture because mm-hmm. I had that. I know there, what you've heard a compound fracture, right? Yeah. I wonder what comminuted means. So, you, you know, you Google it and, and, uh, comminuted, uh, when the bones fragmented into three or more pieces. So, oh my gosh. so it's kind of like just, I combusted right. C2 and was shattered. So, but by the grace of God, I, I've had a full recovery and I mean, I, I really should be dead. And if I'm not dead, I should be in a wheelchair, but I'm yeah. not. And I didn't have surgery. I, we got on this story because <laughs> we were 2010 tra- transitioning. Yeah. So nine, that, and I kind of missed all of 2010 uh, during this process of uh, not being able to really do anything except right. for uh, take some long walks and, and get some vitamin D and, and try and <laughs> trying to get some sun to help the bone heal as quickly as possible. But um uh, 2011, the Padres allowed me to come into spring training as a player with the idea of if I wasn't going to help the big league club out soon, then I would transition into a coaching role. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went in and played in a big league game, uh, hit in a big league game, and and it was awesome. And um, went to minor league camp, but then at at the end of that sp- spring, it was kind of uh, a decision on both sides. Like, let's let's start coaching and mm-hmm. transition into that. And uh, spent a few years in the in the Padres organization as a coach, a hitting coach, and interim managed for for a little bit uh, in Lake Elsinore. And then I uh, went to Oakland for a year, and I uh, I was a manager there, ran uh, the extended spring training program, and then uh, took all the kind of the younger kids in the second half of the year. And we did short season uh, up in Vermont and uh, played in the Penn League. And uh, the year after that, I was going to be back with Oakland, but Detroit called and offered me a position to be the assistant hitting coach in the big leagues with Detroit. So I stayed there for two years and we had a nice little run with with a great offense over there. And Mm -hmm. it's fun to work with some of those guys with uh, Miguel Cabrera and JD Martinez and Mm -hmm. Victor Martinez, Ian Kinsler, and uh, just some some really established big leaguers. And uh, and then the last two years I've spent in the Angel organization as the infield coordinator. And uh, it's been fun 
on the coaching side. It allows me to still pursue my passion and uh, mm-hmm. I'm hoping uh, I'll, I'll be back into the big leagues uh, with a more substantial role sooner than later. Mm-hmm. So, and who were you assistant hitting coach with? That was with Detroit, with the Tigers. With, with uh, I'm sorry, who so, was the other coach? Uh, Wally Joyner. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I couldn't remember who yeah, it was. Wally's world. Yeah. 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 So it was fun. Uh, and Brad Osmus was our manager. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, we, we had a great group to work with couple silver sluggers uh, over those two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miguel won one of his batting titles there that one of those years. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a blast to be with some guys that are really on top of their game and at the highest level of, of uh, any of the hitters in baseball. Yeah. And now that team's manager is now the manager of yeah. the Angels. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's all coming full circle. Another, another full <laughs> yeah. circle for you. That's pretty cool. So now that you are doing this, you are staying local with the infield coaching. Are you doing it for all of their different levels? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the last uh, two years that was uh, traveling around from home base was was home here mm-hmm. in California. And then I would I would travel out from here about 20 days a month to all of our affiliates, our minor league affiliates. And so and work be, with, between uh, Salt Lake City and then. Cucamonga and Elsinore, basically. Yeah, Is that Salt, it? So Salt Lake, uh, Mobile, Alabama, oh, yeah. Double A, Inland Empire, San Bernardino, right. High A ball. And then we had a team in Burlington, Iowa, and then another team uh, in Orm, Utah, and then obviously the complex in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And uh, we would go out to the Dominican as well once a year. Cool. Once a year. During their. not during their uh, winter ball november like right after uh july 2nd usually they have a big signing date in july Mm -hmm. and then they start kind of going so uh, sometime in july we try and head out there and then again in november or october time they do uh instructional league out there yeah so is that like the massive youth movement kids yeah yeah uh, i mean we not just our organization but definitely in ours uh you look at our upper echelon of kind of the top 30 or whatever those are ranked, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not going to discount any of our players because even if they're not in that top 30, like you never know when, when a kid's going to pop and he's going to become a major league player, like right. it's going to happen and they're all talented enough to do it. But when you, when you go to the rankings and stuff like that, I think you look at the international signings and, um, they've had a tremendous impact on, uh, the backbone of our organization yeah. and really strengthening us. Yeah. And on a lot of them, I mean, that's kind of been the big deal and difference over the past uh, five to 10 years. It's kind of blown up a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just a, a way of really impacting the organization and, and, and uh, providing them with, with talent and you're able to work with them from, from a younger age but uh, it just provides a way of, of really uh, changing the culture and, and really growing the organization from the ground up. Yeah. And so as you're doing all this traveling, how much are you able to spend at home during uh, the course of the regular season? Yeah. So spring training, I'm home. I'm well, I'm spring training. I'm we're in Tempe. And so it's easier for the family to spend more time there. Mm-hmm. And that's nice. And, and then, uh, so like basically April to beginning of September is the go time mm-hmm. for the minor league season. And, uh, 
I'm out about 20 days of the month during that time. The good thing for me was, was Inland Empire was close. Right. So I could kind of, I, I, I could drive out or I could just get a, you know, it's a little far to, to go back and forth three, four days in a row. Mm-hmm. But, um, I could get a hotel out there. I could come home one of those days. Um, or I could, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to bring Nico with me mm-hmm. and, uh, make a, a little father son trip and, and some bonding time there. That's cool. And, uh, he was able, he's at the age now where he could kind of, you know, he could do that. He could experience that and hold his own around those guys and not really be a detriment to having him in the clubhouse or, you know, some crazy kid running around or where the, the players are, you know, obviously it's about the players, but right. um, he's mature enough to be able to experience that and, and be there. So that, those were fun trips to be able to do that with him. Yeah. Yeah. I, and you see, like, you're able to see it more like all-star weekend and stuff like that with the mm-hmm. players and their kids out on the field and hanging out in the dugout and all that stuff. But everything that I've ever heard about this, and I'm obviously way on the outside, but how great that is even for the other players seeing, you know, of course my first thought is big poppy with his son or whatever, like being able to have that experience and share that the joy that it brings to those dads is always a good thing for just yeah, about I mean, anybody. I think, uh, let's face it. I mean, it's a kid's game played by right. kids that, are, <laughs> that never grew up. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think, um, you know, when another kid's around, uh, as long as they're really not out of control and uh, mature enough to handle themselves around some of those guys, uh, they just, they, they enjoy it. You know, those guys are playing PS4 as well. Yeah. Clubhouse and, oh boy. you know, they're messing around and, <laughs> and trying to, you know, throw the third cup in the trash can or whatever right. it is. You yeah. Know, everything is a competition to them and, um, yeah. and they're kids at heart as well. So uh, having another kid around that's actual, an actual kid and <laughs> yeah. is, is fun for them. And, and, uh, all the guys have been great to Nico, uh, through the couple of years that I've been able to take them over and a lot of guys still, you know, that I'm talking to, they still ask about them. And, mm-hmm. and so it's, it's great that uh, he's able to share, have those experiences. Yeah. And how much with your old, I mean, obviously you've got over a decade with time served, time served. They call it service time, though, right? I mean, they do call it service time. Um, yeah, but service time. I, I don't know if that's the same as time served. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I'm just reversing the words. Um, but how much are you still? Do you still talk with some of those guys that you're not directly involved with? Uh, pretty often. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I think we keep in touch. There's certain guys that you keep in touch with, and then, yeah. Uh, and then there's guys that like you don't really, and uh, but basically, you know, it's like it's like you've you've gone through so much with these guys when you go through a, a season with with people uh, in baseball, and baseball in itself is such a small fraternity, right? That when you when you see them again, it, it's almost like no time's lost, yeah. And, and you kind of it's easy to catch up, yeah. And your dad has a lot of that as well, right? With some of the writers that he's worked with, whenever I see his posts um, on Facebook or whatever on his blog, um, I'll always see some of those guys that I recognize mm-hmm. from reading things when I was a kid watching baseball. And it's it's cool to see, like you said, it, it is a little fraternity kind of, not in a parties on the lawn kind of way. Well, 
hopefully not maybe maybe for some yeah but uh that is cool the bond like we were saying the bond that's created between some of these fathers and sons but also between all these other guys and because let's face it like i've talked to talk about this with a lot of guys like men are very different from women and our communication level is very different and so all of that time that you spend with these guys over the course of the season like you're saying mm-hmm. like that's a special season of times that you're going through with these guys so i think it's cool that all of those friendships that do extend beyond that that all of you guys are able to hold on to those yeah and uh, you know on the flip side of what we were talking about earlier with how much pressure the burden that that moms face and the families face during the season on the flip side of that, all that time that you are spending at the park, those guys that you're, that you're with and sharing the time with those, those uh, teams, those are your, that's your family. Mm -hmm. And you're actually probably spending more time with them than, than you are with your actual family for, for those uh, six months, seven months out of the year, whether it's from March to in the big leagues, you know, you come to in November. Mid, yeah. You you come in in mid February with the hopes that you're playing till November. Yeah. So you go through some, some battles with them and uh, you're not going to be, it's not going to be all happy all the time. And yeah, uh, but you got to figure out a way to make it work and you got to work through it. And just like you do with your family. Yeah. I think it's great too, how you're able to do a very similar thing to what your dad did with you with, passing this on to Nico and being able to experience it with him. And, and, you know, he may have been very young at the time, but being able to see some of it with you doing it on the field and now you getting to experience that on whatever level it is with him, whether it's him playing in his little league games or bringing him to the park with you is radical. I mean, not a lot of people get that. So. No, for sure. It's been, it's been fun. And, uh, yeah, he's, I think he's getting, uh, some unique experiences of being able to come to the park with me. And the year before last, uh, it just so happened that we were in Inland Empire and I was, I had it scheduled and my trout ended up being on rehab there. So mm. he was there with, uh, with Trouty and, uh, they're on the dugout bench together during the game and he's sitting right next to him. And I took Nico up earlier to, I mean, earlier in the day for a few days and he's taking batting practice on the field and, and Mike's coming in to get ready for his day and mm-hmm. stops and watches Nico taking batting practice and, <laughs> you know, gives cool. him a couple words. And so, I mean, uh, I think uh, he's had some pretty cool experiences with being able to come work out and come to the field and be hanging out in the clubhouse with the guys and, and see that at a, at a, at a young age. And, and handle himself uh, with maturity uh, as he does that, and and it's a passion for his for him too. So I think it's really cool for him. Yeah, it's uh, how often are you? I I do a lot of things that I'm thinking forward to my kid as an older teenager and beyond that, um, and then thinking back to like me as a kid and my dad as a teenager or whatever how because this is such a strong line of this one thing that bonds Mm -hmm. you your three generations now how much of that do you find yourself doing like thinking oh this was me and my dad was watching me or i wonder you know if 
this is a thought going through Nico's head at all, or if he's going to have to wait until he's 30 yeah. until it's hitting. Well, I think I, I think maybe like uh, watching him play. I, I, I think of my dad and like uh-huh. him having to kind of keep his cool, <laughs> you know, like breathe, just breathe. <laughs> yeah. But, um, uh, so I see that, but, um, I think with me, uh, playing compared to my dad was covering the players right. and now me coaching compared to like what my dad was doing, even though it's, it's just a unique, like you said, lineage of, um, it's not the same as like father, son player. Right. It's kind of allowed, uh, Nico to have a little bit of, uh, different access and a little mm-hmm. bit of a different experience, uh, compared to what I was able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, although I was, I was afforded a, a lot. Uh, it wasn't quite at the same level as maybe hanging out with an Aaron Boone or, right. or, or Brett Boone or Tim DeCince and, uh, seeing what they got to do compared to what I did. And, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Nico's kind of, uh, been afforded to do a little bit more than probably what I was able to do, mm-hmm. um, and experience uh, a few more things, but not that, I feel slighted or denied, but right. All right. Well, I think we've basically run the gamut. So thank you very much for uh, joining, taking some time out. Thank you to your family yeah. for thank um, you, Gigi. letting me come in here. <laughs> Is there anything that you, I always give people the opportunity to have people connect to them somewhere, but you're not much of a social media guru, oh, no. right? No, I'm not. I'm sorry. Can we say that's okay. (laughs) Can we say that this episode is sponsored by Letco Jewelry? Oh, without a doubt. There's a massive laughter from the living room. Can the creator of Letco Jewelry come and throw out a quick 10 second spot? Yeah, come (laughs) and. Letco Jewelry. I'm Hannah. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so we are gonna have <laughs> we are gonna have Karen Newhan, David's wife. So like in the forties in yep. Rhode Island, maybe in the thirties or forties, forties. Yeah. Um, my grandfather owned and ha- owned a jewelry store and manufacturing company. And my dad grew up in that business maybe about, I don't know, six or seven years ago when mm-hmm. he did pictures for me. My dad and I started just I just started doing a little bit of jewelry. Well, since then, my dad's really gotten involved and we do a lot of handmade custom order pieces. Mm -hmm. My dad does a lot of wire wrapping. He can set stones. I do mostly bracelets, like make different beaded bracelets. That's more what I like to do. But we shape stones and rocks, cabochons, wire wrap rings, everything. I'm on Instagram at Letco Jewelry. All right. Cool. Well, you guys should check out Letco Jewelry. This will be going on after Christmas. So for your we have Valentine's, Valentine's Day we needs, go to Letco Jewelry and get something for your sweetie there. Do people still say that? Sweetie. <laughs> yeah. There you go. You Thank now you. sponsored your first podcast. Aww. So I'll just send you a contract. Thank you. Sure. Letco Jewelry. Yeah. For all of your jewelry needs. Is that your guys like, no, we're so or are catchy. you just making that I got up? nothing. Oh. I'm not catchy. I make really cool bracelets. That's my thing. There you go. Letco Jewelry. We make really cool bracelets <laughs> and that's our thing. <laughs> <laughs> and we're only on Instagram. <laughs> All right. Well, again, thank you for having me in your home to the entire Newhand family, Letco Jewelry, and to David Newhand. Thank you very much. 
Thank you. It was our pleasure. I had a blast. Okay, and that ends my conversation with David Newhan. I hope you guys got a lot out of that conversation. I will say, as I was sitting there, and I knew the story about David's accident, and as I sat there with him, I was just getting the chills while he was retelling that story. And as I was editing this episode together as well and re-listening to it again, same effect. Like, it's it's so incredible that story and what he pushed on to do and uh, it's really really inspiring so i'm i count myself very fortunate to know david and to be able to have conversations with him about that and i'm really very happy to be able to have this ability to get that story out there to more people so i'm glad you were here to listen to it Pass that on to some friends that you think would benefit from this story, whether they're dads or whether they're not, whether they're men or women. Like, I think that this story is an inspirational one to all people. So you can let your friends and family members know about that. You can also direct them to Daddy Unscripted on social media at Facebook, uh, on Twitter, on Instagram, all as Daddy Unscripted you or they can send me an email at daddyunscripted at gmail.com. You can also go and visit the website daddyunscripted.com. And along with David's post there, there will be some more photos of him and a little bit more of this story and the tie-in again to the episodes with his dad, Ross Newhan, which is also extremely important and good listening and helps tie all of this together in a nice little bow So I appreciate you guys listening to that and for continuing to send me some good ideas for guests. I I am very hopeful for the rest of this year to have some uh, a lot more inspirational guests on as well in this vein to continue to not only document the important stories of these men and these dads and about their fathers, but also to inspire others as well. So hopefully we'll be able to do a lot more of that this year. I would also like to remind you guys about Osiris podcasts and all of the different great podcasts on the Osiris network. So I will tell you there is one called the broke down podcast, which is hosted by Jonathan, who was on my podcast a while ago as well as a guest so you can check out those episodes to learn more about the host but you should check out broke down podcast you can find them at broke down pod on twitter and they are up near 40 episodes or so and he not only plays some great music by the grateful dead on his podcast but he also has some fantastic guests that he talks about different stages of their career and it just really is a really cool podcast that you guys I'm sure a lot of you will really enjoy if you like the Grateful Dead like I do so again check out Broke Down Pod in the meantime I will thank Humphreys McGee as always for letting me use their music on the podcast the band management everybody I love you guys check out umphreys.com you will love them as well go see them live check them out you can before you 
go in person to potentially have your face melted by their music, you can check them out on online. Go to umfreeze.com and, you know, I can't say enough good things about Umphreys McGee. I really can't. So I greeted you in Japanese. And unfortunately, the little thing that I used to find my languages did not have a Japanese farewell that I really loved. But in true Umphreys McGee fashion, I did learn, and I never knew this, if I was to say it was pleased to meet you, I would say, Hajimemeshite. Which is, if you spell it out, Hajimemeshite, which is one of my favorite Humphreys McGee songs, and I never realized that because I just never looked it up. But Hajimemeshite, which I'm saying very poorly, but it has been a pleasure to meet all of you. I hope that we meet again with the next episode. Keep your eyes out for that. It should be two or three weeks before that's out. So thanks again, you guys. Thanks again, you guys.